So, because we don't have um, a Good Friday, you know, service with live band and everything, um, and next Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we obviously want to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. I think I shared last year that I was once at a church in Ireland. It's nothing against the Irish, Anne, by the way. It just happened to be in Ireland. And... Uh, <laughs> And um, he spent 45 minutes talking about Satan on Easter Sunday. And you're like, that's a massive own goal, isn't it? So what we're doing this morning is I want to look at the cross a little bit, the cross of Christ. And that means next Sunday we can talk about the resurrection. So the two kind of will hopefully merge together perfectly because Easter is all about death and resurrection. In order for a resurrection to take place, there has to be death. It's not just a bit of CPR, it's, it's proper death. So we have to kind of look at that a little bit this morning. Um, but Easter is early this year. And I just, I was wondering, I was, I was wandering around Chesterfield the other day, as you do. And I was just wondering, what if I, if I went, went up to the people of Chesterfield and asked them, what is Easter all about? I didn't do this, I was just guessing now. What kind of responses you'd get? I think some people would be like, well, I get two days off work, which is brilliant. Some people would be like, Easter is about the extra pub time. On the Friday or the Monday, I can hit the pub a bit longer. Or Sunday night, I can go out without any consequences because I've got all of Monday to rest. Some people, it will be all about the chocolate. Some people will be McDonald's Monopoly is back. Um, and the cream egg McFlurry, which has my highest recommendation. For some people, it's about a bunny, a duckling, and a bear. So you know, these Chesterfield is full of these. It's not full of like high-end shops, is it? But it's full of rubbish card shops. Anybody else notice that? You've got like Card Market, Card Street, Card Factory. And I'm sure they're all owned by like the don of card making because all the cards are the same in every single shop. They've just got a different cover. But I noticed, I went to the, I didn't know Easter cards was this thing, but apparently it is. And I, so I had a look at all the Easter cards and I reckon 95% of the Easter cards were yellow, which is fine. But on them were either a bear, a duckling, or a collection of ducklings, or a bunny. And like 5% might have some sort of, oh, God bless you this Easter, some sort of thing on it, you know, or the odd cross knocking about. But mainly, it was a duckling, a bear, and a bunny. And I get the duckling and the bear thing a little bit, you know, like new life, but does anybody know why bears are on Easter cards? No? No, all right, good. It's not just me. It was a bit weird. Um, and that seems to be the projection, at least, of what people think Easter's about. Um, whereas, actually, it's, it's not this, you know, you, you could uh, look at the bear, look at the duckling, look at the bunny rabbit, and your kind of emotion, I mean, mine is like, oh, I feel a bit sick looking at these horrible cards. But for some people, it's like, oh, that bear's really cute, or, oh, isn't Easter cute, you know, bunny rabbits and ducklings, and isn't it a sweet time of year? Whereas actually, it's about a man being crucified on a cross and being risen to new life. The words are is about the furthest thing from what Easter is really about. We've kind of deviated so far. You know, the cross of Christ is not cute. It's not cuddly. Maybe that's why they overcompensate with the bear and the duckling and the I don't know, but it's not like that. And as much as I love a good Easter egg, and I have bought some, um, Easter's not about that, is it? And we can somehow so, so quickly just deviate off. Easter's about making sure we've got our chocolates, making sure we've got Monday sorted of what we're doing and time off to do whatever we want. And we forget the real heart and meaning of Easter. Easter is really at the heart of the Christian faith, what happens Easter weekend. 
And so this morning's message is of eternal significance to all of us. There's no, if you're sat here this morning, you can't just sit there and say, well, this doesn't apply to me. There's no excuses, really. It applies to every single one of us because we have a response to what's said this morning. We have a response to what's in God's word. Uh, I want to just read this to you. It's, if you've got a Bible, it's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 5. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to uh, the church in Corinth. And he says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you uh, the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul, who we know wrote much of the New Testament, the letters, the epistles to the churches, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, the letters uh, 1 and 2 Timothy. Paul writes all these letters, and he writes the church in Corinth. And he writes in the second chapter of that, that I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, what does that mean? He, he's in Corinth for like, say, 18 months or so. What does that mean? Does that mean that's all he talked about? Does that mean you couldn't get Paul on any other subject? that he wouldn't talk about what he'd had for breakfast that morning, that he wouldn't engage in who his favorite sports team was or what he was listening to or who he was talking to or who his friends were or where he'd stayed. It obviously doesn't mean that because you read through the letters and he, he has a life, you know, he does stuff. You could ask him what his favorite things were, but the point is this. The point Paul's making is that the cross of Christ to Paul this crucifixion of Jesus is so important to him that he never leaves it. And so often as Christians, we leave it all the time. That it's just this thing we come back to at Easter maybe, or we're reminded at Christmas that Jesus came to die. You know, he was born so that he could die. But we drift away from it. And yet Paul says you never leave it. If you want to be known as a Jesus follower, this is the defining moment. This is the de defining thing in all of history. It's what your life has been building to. It's what Jesus' life was for. A third of all the writings of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are set in this final week of Jesus' life. And when there is a great deal of scripture, when there's a lot of time given over to something, we should automatically know it's important. If a third of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all set in this final week of Jesus' life, we know it's significant. Add on that, the rest of the New Testament is basically trying to understand and trying to push out and tell us what happened so that we can understand it today. All of the letters are written in response to this moment. The, the moment is not Jesus walking on the water, which was amazing. It's not talking about the fact that he fed 5,000. That's not what Paul comes back to. That's not what James comes back to. It's not what Peter comes back to and John comes back to. They're not coming back to this moment where Jesus fed 5,000 on the hillside. Amazing. It's almost as if they're not bothered. What they keep coming back to is what happens at Easter. What they keep coming back to is the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I decide to know nothing among you other than Jesus and his cross. Romans, the Romans were cruel, weren't they? they? They crucified hundreds, if not thousands of people. 
So what was so significant about this cross? Even as Jesus is crucified, he's got a robber to his left, hasn't he? And he's got a robber to his right. He was crucified in the same way by the same people on the same day. Yet this cross, Jesus Christ, is significant. Romans chapter 1 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, which means the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's why I said none of us can say this isn't for me this morning. Because the Bible says this is for everyone who believes. This is for everyone who's listening to these words this morning, whether that's on the film or otherwise. It's why the cross is so important. This is why Paul says it's good news. It's the power of God for salvation. It's a rescue plan. In order to be rescued, there has to be a rescue plan. As I was um, preparing this, something that happened to me when I was about 15 or 16 shot through my mind. And I'd not thought about it for years and years and years. Um, I used to go down in Cornwall, I still like going down to Cornwall, but used to do a little bit of surfing, but mainly bodyboarding, because I've not got great balance, so bodyboarding's fine, it's easier. Um, and I'm a good swimmer, competent swimmer. I wouldn't think twice about going for a swim or if somebody was drowning, jumping in. You know, sometimes I look at the lifeguards at the swimming pool and think, you're not going to be able to save me, mate. Let's be honest, you've been down KFC a bit too much, you ain't saving me. But I'd be okay swimming. So I wouldn't think twice about it. And one summer, found myself uh, far out, and I hadn't realized that I was just drifting, obviously on a current, further and further out. The moment I realized was when I was all by myself. And you look, and people are just dots now. You can't really see people on the beach, but people in the ocean are dots, in the Atlantic Ocean. I'm thinking, I'm in trouble here. And you know you're even more in trouble when you're swimming as fast as you can, front crawl, as hard as you can towards the beach, and you're going nowhere. Now, I didn't need the lifeboat people because fortunately I was still just about within the, the range that the waves would kind of, if you caught one just right, bring you back in. But I was reminded of this story that actually, if I'd not realized that I needed rescuing, I was just drifting through life. I would have been just drifted away, wouldn't I? All right, they might have sent out a lifeboat, hopefully, but I would have just drifted deep into the Atlantic Ocean, and it was in the years where they'd spotted great white sharks as well off the coast of Cornwall. Do you remember that? No, just me. Might have made that up. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. That's what I was telling people anyway. Oh, I was swimming with great whites. They were in my ocean. But that's what we do. That, that image of me just kind of out at sea, not really, you know, nonchalantly thinking, oh, this is great, but you're just drifting, and we just drift through life, and we need rescuing. There needs to be a rescue plan. And that's what Easter is. That's what the cross is. That's why it's so significant. That's why it's different to every other cross, every other crucifixion that there was ever done by the Romans. Because there's salvation in what Jesus does. Jesus came for everyone. Romans 1 says, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And we're told elsewhere in the Gospels that he came to seek and to save the lost, that's you and me, the drifters, people that are just drifting through life. We are evil. I don't mind saying that. I'm happy to say that. We're evil, we're hellbound, we're sinful. It's not a popular message, is it? But it's true. And it's because of our rebellion to God. And it's the cross that changes all those things. It's the cross that takes hell and gives me heaven. 
It's not my church attendance. It's not that I'm stood at the front with a microphone preaching. It's the cross of Jesus that makes a difference. That's why it's so important. That's why you can forget the bunny, the duckling, and the bear. They don't offer me anything. But the cross of Christ takes death and brings resurrection. See, our sin, our evil, I love the song Amazing Grace. But if you, it's such a popular song, but the first line, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Do we think about that when we say it? A wretch. I mean, that's, that's not a great image, is it? But that's, that, that's true. That from a, a holy God, a, a God who is pure, we're set apart. And the punishment, according to Romans, is death. And that's actually the right punishment for our wrongdoing, isn't it? If we think about it, for all our evil, for all our wrongdoing, death is a, a fair punishment. And it applies to all of us. Paul himself says this. He says he's the scum of the world. He's the refuse of all things. I mean, that's strong language. I, I love reading through. If you've not read through it, you know, read through Acts. Because, you know, as a church, as a nation, we have become so PC, haven't we? We don't talk about hell anymore. We don't say hard things anymore. Read Acts. Read it. You'll be astonished. The things that they say. They, they don't mince their words. And, you know, often I think, well... Maybe we're not seeing growth in our churches and we're not seeing lives transformed because we mince our words. Now, God doesn't mess around. So why do we? Sometimes there's a place for just giving it straight like Paul and Peter and the rest of the apostles do. We are not okay, are we? Before God, we are not okay. We're on a wide path towards destruction, the Gospels say. And yet there's this cross, there's this defining moment that's just more important than just a relic or a symbol of faith. It's something that changes everything. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The sacrifice of Jesus is something that changes everything. I just wanted to read, because we don't have a Good Friday service. Well, we do have the devotional, but we don't have a service as you would like. I just want to read the account because I think there's power in just reading what it says, really. This is Mark 15. This is what Jesus went through for you and for me. The soldiers led him away inside the palace, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to be crucified. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. And with him, the crucified robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself 
and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. That's ironic, isn't it? That he's saving others in what he's doing. And he does because he rises from the dead three days later. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And then when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth. And Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it, behold, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. Let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. That's what Jesus went through. Now, that doesn't, that's, you know, the other gospels have a little more detail. But that's what Jesus goes to. That's what he goes through in order to rescue us. And 2 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's something called the divine exchange, the sacrifice of Jesus for you and for me because he loves us. There's a divine exchange that takes place. All our rubbish, all our reckless living, all our mistakes, all our sin, all the stuff that means we're destined for hell, Jesus takes upon himself when he's crucified upon that piece of wood 2,000 years ago. The perfect God-man, Jesus Christ. The one man who actually walked through life without being deserving of the punishment of death, ever. The one man who should walk free, sacrifices himself for you. And the punishment for death has to take place because God is just... Just as we long for justice in this world, God is just. So the punishment falls on Jesus instead of us. And Jesus willingly puts himself in front of that, front and center. And the reverse of that, this is what is amazing. The second half of 2 Corinthians 5 says that after Jesus has been made to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All the good stuff, all the right standing before God is credited to you free of charge. So you're over here in rubbish and reckless living and sin. The cross of Jesus takes place and you're given the right standing before God. That's why it's significant. That's amazing, isn't it? We don't look that excited. The cross is what changes our life forever. Changes your moment now, but changes your future. Which is why Paul says, I've decided to know nothing among you other than the cross of Christ. Because it's the cross that changes lives. You know, when we talk to people about our faith, what are we talking about? So often we say, oh, I had a great time at church. Talk about the cross of Christ. Talk about Jesus. Because that's what changes lives. The sacrifice and the love of God in Jesus Christ changes your life. The fact that he turned water into wine, cool, cool story, doesn't change your life. The cross, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus does. 
That's why it's so significant. And it's all because he loves us. When we're over here and we're in our recklessness, this is what love looks like. Think of people that you find irritating or difficult or have offended you. They're harder to love, aren't they? You know, loving your enemies even can be a bit tricky. But it's the countercultural, it's what we're called to do. We were the enemies of God because of our reckless living. We deserve nothing but amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Not because we contribute anything, but simply because God loves you. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that, don't we? That actually, he goes through all this, not to heap shame on our shoulders, but because he loves you. Because he says, you're worth something. The rest of the world, our relationships, our friendships, often we're being devalued. Yes, we are evil and we make mistakes, but here is God saying, no, you're worth something. Here is God saying, you matter. Here is God saying, you're important. Whatever you've done, I love you. You're of value to me. So much value that he sends his son for us. You know, in those moments where we think, I'm worth nothing. Nobody cares about me. Jesus died for you. Because he loves you. Because he wants you to pass from death over here into life. We might not feel loved this morning by our friends. We might not feel loved by our family. And maybe we can live with that. We can be like, okay, that's fine. Bit of tension there, okay. But God loves you. And that is actually something that we can't live without. We can't live without the love of God. Because it changes our eternal destiny. And the beauty of this good news is, I was just lingering on this, the beauty of it is this, that we can take just one step this morning towards God and it changes the rest of our steps forever. Have you thought about that? We've just got to take one step towards him. We've just got to turn around and repent of our sin and put our trust in Jesus. And it changes the course of the rest of our life. Just one moment, just turning around and trusting in Jesus changes everything. You know, people all the time do this thing, don't they? They say, well, if I win the lottery, it'll be life-changing. If you trust in Jesus, it will truly be life-changing. That's what changes your life. Not whether you win the lottery or not. Good luck on that, by the way. You've got more odds of being struck by lightning, I think. And even less odds if you don't play. (laughs) But one step towards him changes the rest of our days. It's an important decision because it changes our life now and in the future. It's not the kind of thing that we can just drift like I was drifting in the ocean. There will be some of you here this morning that are just drifting and you know you're drifting. You know, maybe you made a decision years ago. Maybe you've never made a decision. You are drifting. God doesn't want us to drift. He sent his son so we don't have to. He sent his son so we can be rescued forever. Romans 6.6 6 says this, We know that the old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. In other words, if you trust in Jesus, you get a fresh start. You get a new life. Your slate is wiped clean. Why live in guilt and shame if God doesn't put guilt and shame upon you? 
God says, no, you've got a clean slate. You're right with me. You've been given the right living of Jesus, the right standing before God and the Father. Because of Jesus, you've been credited with this righteousness. You have a clean slate. Sometimes we're the last to get the memo, aren't we? We can have a clean slate. Whatever we've done in the past, whatever we've done today, we can have a fresh start. And it's interesting, these verses from Romans 6, 6. It says that the old self was crucified with him in order that sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. In other words, if you're a Christian here this morning, then stop messing about. Stop going back to the old things that you lived in like you used to. You're supposed to be new. You're supposed to be different. We shouldn't be messing about as we once were. We put to death those things. You see, we minimize Easter and we minimize the significance of the cross if we live like it's not transforming. If you are the same as you were before you met Jesus, did you really meet him? Because it should transform our life. Because it should change our eternal destiny. You hear stories all the time, don't you, of people being set free from things. They were an alcoholic and they come to Christ and all of a sudden they're set free from that. And that happens sometimes, but for sometimes it's a, it's a slow burner for us. Maybe we've got a really bad potty mouth. Our language is terrible. But when we came to Christ, it, it didn't change overnight. But are we tracking towards that? Is our language better than it once was? I know it's difficult being in the world and watching our tongue and what comes out, but what we speak has the power to bring life or death into situations, to transform. We can encourage or we can put down. How are we tracking? Are we heading towards Jesus? Are we more Christ-like now than we were when we met him? Because the cross of Christ should change our lives because we should have new lives. We're set free. We're rescued. We're changed forever. That's why Paul says, I decide to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified because it's life-changing. One way I like to think of it is that the whole of our life should be lived in the shadow of the cross. Kind of get that impression with Paul. Even when he's tent making, it's in the shadow of the cross. The fact that he's a new creation and is, he's not who he used to be and that he's thankful for Jesus affects the way he works, affects the way he speaks, affects the way he operates with his, with his friends and with the churches. It could, it could affect the way that we have with our family and how we are as a family today, our language, our prayer life. The cross of Christ has life-transforming power. Don't just consign it to history. Don't consign it to a relic of 2,000 years ago. Don't leave the cross in the past. It doesn't belong there. The cross of Christ belongs in your present. Because we should be every day submitting ourselves and following after Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus today, Luke 9 says, is to take up your cross and follow me. A lot of the narrative, if you watch um, Christian TV, which actually I'm not going to recommend because most of it is just garbage. But what you will hear is, come to Jesus and you will have health. Come to Jesus and you will have wealth. Come to Jesus and you will have prosperity. Nowhere in the Bible does it say any of those things. It says, come to Jesus and you will get him. Come to Jesus and you will have eternal treasure. You will have Christ. 
which is worth more than anything that this world has to offer. Why hoard stuff on this earth and forfeit what you might have in the future in glory? I once heard, uh, or heard a sermon recently that said, um, life is about living your best life now. And I thought, that's not true. My best life is in the future with Jesus. If I'm living my best life now, that means I'm going to hell. Because my best life is to come. But what we can do is we can track that way now. We can put our trust in Jesus now, which means we will be with him in glory forever. You know, this morning as we approach Easter, it presents a great opportunity, doesn't it? To get rid of the bunny and the bear and the duckling cards. If you've bought them, that's fine. That's okay. But to just stick them to one side, actually, and to just come back and to refocus and to go, actually, what is Easter all about? What difference does it make to my life? And if you don't know Jesus yet, today's the perfect opportunity to take that step back towards him. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Every single one of us here wants our life to matter, don't we? We want our life to amount to something. We want it to count. We want to make some difference in the world somehow. If not for ourselves, then for our friends or our family or our society or our neighbors. If we want to be people that bring change and make a difference, we're people that live in the shadow of the cross. I think that's what Paul would say. We'd be Jesus people. We'd be full of life. Not full of a false gospel, but full of just being Jesus people. Full of following after him, whether it's rough or whether it's smooth. In the good days and in the difficult days, we keep following after him. Because he's more valuable than anything else this world has to offer. And I love this. I'm going to come back to it here. Those words from Corinthians. Because it's really interesting what Paul says. This is just to finish, I promise. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling. My speech and my message were not plausible in words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. And the good news from that is that this good news is for all of us. That we don't need to be eloquent. We don't need to be full of wisdom. We can be fearful. We can be weak. We can be trembling. Just as Paul was as he delivered this message and wrote these words to the church in Corinth. The good news of salvation isn't dependent upon our skill set or our lack of skill set. Whether we can string a 30-minute talk together or whether we can't do a minute, it doesn't matter. Whether we're tall or short or fat or thin. <laughs> whether we've had a great life up to now or we've had a really difficult journey. Whether we're a success in the eyes of the world or a failure. The good news, this new life, thankfully, is dependent on none of those things. But entirely dependent upon the cross. Paul's words that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, 
but in the power of God. And what's the power of God? Romans 1, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. It's giving us a new start. That's why the cross is so important. It takes our death and it gives us life. It takes our darkness, it gives us light. It takes our hell and instead we're given heaven. And all because of that one moment in history where Jesus says, I'm going to step in. I'm going to sacrifice myself because I love you so that you can be set free and so that you can have a new life that starts today. That's what Easter's about. And if we just take one step towards him today, it changes the rest of our steps going into eternity. Why don't we just pray together? And actually, it's a good opportunity. You know, the week before Easter, it's just a good opportunity. If we're someone who's following after Jesus, it's a good moment for us to just, again, take that step back towards him. To come before him and say, God, I've, I've been doing this or I've been doing that or I've been living in a way that's just rebellious to you. And getting our hearts right before him again. But also it's the opportunity, maybe for the first time, to say, I want to follow you, Jesus. I'm not going to sit on the fence. I'm not going to drift through life anymore. But I'm going to make a decision for you. And it's a verbal thing. We have to confess with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord.